Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to... And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. So over the years, I've talked some shit about Strombo. Not not a lot of shit, you know, like some shit. A certain amount of shit has been spoken by me about George Strombolopoulos. To be clear, none of this was personal. I don't even know the guy, but I have mocked him. And, and you know, what I've made fun of him for, the substance of the shit, if you will, is the sheer ubiquity of Strombo. What I've said about him in the past has been this. Must this guy always have a television show? Is it in the Constitution? He's on City, then he's on Much, he's on CBC, he's on ABC, he's on CNN, he's on Hockey Night in Canada. I mean, you can't blame somebody for being popular, but it's not always been super clear how popular Strombo has been. His big U.S. network ABC show in 2006, The One, this was an American Idol clone. It was the most expensive summer show the network had ever made, and it was the lowest rated debut in American television history. The show was quickly canceled. Then he was on CNN for 10 episodes. His brief run on Hockey Night in Canada, not super well received by sports fans. And yet, it's as if there's some sort of unassailable statute in the Broadcasting Act dictating that Strombo cannot be without show. Anyhow, uh, sorry to repeat myself, but you know, this is necessary context. Uh, that is the kind of shit that I have talked about George Strombolopoulos. 
which is why when he approached me in the airport a couple of months back, I was prepared to receive a punch in the jaw. Or at a minimum, a stern talking to. That is how it went down the last time a different CBC host approached me in public. I had it coming. But it never came. George was friendly. George was genuine. George was a mensch. I tried to be those things too. I gave him a compliment. One that I meant. His current show, House of Strombo, which you'll find on YouTube, this is a show in which he hosts musical acts in his home. He invites people to come listen for free. He buys everybody pizza. And it's really good. It's beautifully produced. He gets great guests. The sound is fantastic. And, and George seems really natural in it. The whole thing feels good. And, and he built that show by himself. Nobody came and offered it to him, installed him into a big set with a big budget and a big paycheck. He made it happen. And then Apple Music came on and sponsored it. I told him in the airport that he looked like he was having a lot of fun on that show. And he said, yeah, I am. And then I asked if he'd come on this show. And he said yes. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Travis Ross, Andrea Schmidt, Ted Raymond, Trisha Matheson, William Denton, Justin Sabulski, Elise Paradis, and Kyle Spans. I'm Kyle, a software developer in Toronto, and I support Canada Land because I've been listening since the search engine days. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. It was always going to be true that I was going to be drawn to the margins, always. As much as my career has gone mainstream at some points and not, I was always margins the art. I consume the things I like. It's always in the margins. My mom said when I was five, I was watching the hilarious House of Frightenstein and connecting to Alice Cooper. And it was all the death and the darkness. Mm -hmm. And she didn't understand 
how her little boy who grew up, you know, my mom was very loving. How did, how did this reach you? But it's, I, and I said, I don't have any choice. It just was my brain chemistry. Uh-huh. I think my brain chemistry, I think the neighborhood I grew up in, uh, I, I don't know what your relationship with anger is, but, you know, trying to process my own anger growing up. You don't seem little, like a very angry person. I'm angry, man. Oh, yeah. And it's why I. So it's all just yeah. subsumed, hidden anger? Well, no, what I found a way to do a long time ago was I found a way to take my anger and channel it into positive change. Like knowing how that I've been lucky enough to have a pretty decent career doing a lot of different things, but I know that in that time, because I don't really give a fuck what anybody thinks about, I kept myself, in terms of how they think about me, I can put my elbows up and I can fight for and protect people in different ways. So being on TV throwing to a video to me meant that I could also go and do a literacy event in none of it. That to me was like, oh, I saw the connection. I thought, oh, I can use this platform to be to fight for things, which is what Joe Strummer prepared me for, which is, you know, what Chuck D prepared me for when I was 12. They told me, you got to make change in your neighborhood. It's a very idealistic and high-minded idea of what it is to throw to a music video. No, but it is, but but that's the whole point, right? The whole point to me has always been, if you just do your job, right, then if you're okay with that, cool. But what is the point of being, like, I don't believe in an afterlife. I don't have any spirituality in my life. So what, what is the meaning of life? And it's community. So I thought, and even, but you know what, I'll tell you, when I worked at Much Music, I wasn't the only one who felt that way. We all did. We talked about it. We were 25, man. We were 25, 26 years old, somewhere 20. And we talked about using our voice. We were doing interviews with trans artists in 1999. You know, we were, we were, we were making a space where kids who were watching us in Lethbridge, Alberta felt safe at Much Music. We talked about those sort of things with each other before we'd go on the air. It was a really strange time to be, and that doesn't exist anymore. What the fuck are you talking about? That's for real. The early days of Much Music and City TV, by all accounts, was like a drug-fueled orgy bacchanal. You're talking about the 80s. It was all changed by the time you were in there? Oh, for sure. Oh, you know why? Because Denise Donlin uh, mm-hmm. showed up, and Denise Donlin thought it was really important for the broadcaster and the people on the air to have a very strong social justice streak. We, I mean, much so. you're absolutely right, and I don't think that Moses or City gets enough credit for like you know you look back on that stuff and like wow this this looked like Toronto hundred percent and was it was it was a kind of like uh, capturing the, the the burgeoning multiculturalism of Canada in a way yeah. and not even just in that there were like people of different ethnicities but like people didn't look like slick TV people dude not the, at all the faces were like people you'd meet in Toronto. And looking back on it, it's interesting for me to look at that because, you know, I encounter much music as a snotty teenager. And, yep. like, to us, you guys were corporate culture. Absolutely. I like know. The, these were the videos that somebody decided I need to watch yeah. on repeat again. And, and I'll tell you, if one of the bands that we liked had a video on at, like, 2 a.m., yeah. we would stay up for it. I and mean, we'd watch it loop again. Just, just for like, sure. oh, my God, there's a video for this. Well, see, and I think I, – I, I know why you felt that way, and I think it was – it's partly accurate. Not your feelings are one hundred percent accurate, but it, what, you're, the, what you're describing is partly accurate in that there is a, a middle of the country, and I mean a middle of the country intellectually and emotionally as consumers that like that stuff you're talking about. They like the pop, middle of the road. They love that. In fact, that's the majority of the people. Um, what you had to consider when it comes to a place like Much Music, it was what was happening around it. So when I was programming Loud and and the Punk Show, in fact, we created the Punk Show. When I when I was offered a job at Much Music, it was to host the new music, and I said I would take the job. I wasn't. I'd never had a goal to be on Much Music. I didn't have cable. I didn't watch that stuff. Um, I always just thought it was a pop channel. 
Um, but I had watched the new music on City TV back when it was Channel yeah. 79, and I loved the new music. And to edify our listeners, like this really was a very progressive, forward-thinking yep. music show that was like, I mean, people don't understand back in those days, like to find something that reflected any kind of subculture was like oh yeah, very difficult, and it felt like just to see some kind of reflection of that, and the new music really was and it, seeking out stuff you wouldn't hear about elsewhere. 100%, it predated MTV. It was the beginning of this stuff. So when I, they offered me that show... I said, okay, but only if you give me loud, the metal show, because I loved heavy music. And then when I did the metal show, I said to them, I'm now going to convert, I'm going to take space and I'm going to make a punk show as well. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Never once did anybody tell me what to program. And we programmed all kinds of crazy stuff. Like our shows were so crazy. But if you listen to watch some of the stuff Sookin was doing on The Wedge, she was programming that. So in the more mainstream genres, there was that kind of, hey, this is what the industry thinks you should watch, but also what they think the fans want. But on the on the outskirts of that, we were just picking our own stuff. My boss has never watched my shows. Never. Because I would say, do you watch the show? Like, no. I, I wasn't the host of The Wedge. I would sneak on and guest host The Wedge, and no one knew. That doesn't happen where you just sneak on and host another TV show. Nobody knew. And we were picking cool videos and doing uh, stuff, and we took it really seriously. So I, I don't judge the much legacy on the totality of what they did in a 24-hour period. I always look at it from the through the lens of what you get away with. If what you're telling me is, oh, I never had any ambition to do anything but be on this cool new music show or to do my own stuff on Loud, and, you know, I did the mainstream thing as, like, a concession to that, and then no, I, th no, no. I, th I throw to videos so that I could make these connections with people and none of it. No, no, no. Like, dude, you have been a mainstream figure in Canada right. for like a 20 year period. Like yeah. that didn't happen by accident. You just like, no. like uh, trying to do something uh, eccentric and, 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 and marginal and, Oh, what, what am I doing? I'm on hockey night in Canada. There's a series of deliberate, ambitious movements. You have to, I mean, you're a no. notoriously hard worker. Like you, you, you did this on purpose, George. but I'm not ambitious. That's the key, Jesse. That's the key. I want a life where I can, I can have as much control over my day as possible. Uh-huh. I hate bosses. I've always hated it. I don't like a job. I'm a hard worker when it's things I like. I don't. I, I used to drive a forklift. I used to make uh, subs for the, both of the famous sandwich jobs in Canada. I was a movie theater usher for a long time. I would unload uh, dump trucks with limestone and fill in dishes. Like I had work, and I was like, "Fuck this! I don't want this." Driving a forklift when you're 18 years old um, at the airport with guys who were. Now it's amazing. They seemed old then. They're like 40. And they were drinking. They hated their lives. They were teaching me how to gamble on the phone, pre-internet. And I looked around and went, well, I don't want this life. But what I love is music. And I love people. So I got into radio by accident because I was trying to get a motorcycle license. And I saw a course calendar for a community college, Humber College, that had a radio program. I didn't mm -hmm. even know you could do that. No education. Didn't go to university. Never even applied to university. Couldn't afford university. I don't come from a path where... My family's biggest hopes for me was that I would be a bus driver because they said you could sit down for a living and you could get in the union. That was my family's biggest dream for me. My mother never asked me about my report card. No one ever put any pressure on me to achieve anything. And I've taken that to this point. When I have had a very successful or lucky career in a lot of ways because I, I respect the craft of this. I didn't apply for a job at CBC. I didn't apply for the job at Hockey Night in Canada. I didn't ask for the show on CNN. I didn't, I didn't chase any of this stuff. In fact... When they came to me initially, those places, I said no. I said no. I turned CBC down several times before I ended up taking that show. I love music and I love culture and I love getting away with stuff. And I don't think I can here. So why would I do that? I didn't get into radio so that I could help kids with their lives. Of course not. I was 17, not with 18. What do I know? I'm just saying as my career started, as the work started to 
pick up and I started to see what happened when you had profile, I thought, well, I don't want to make this about me because uh-huh. I'm uncomfortable with that. Um, I'm also very lucky that I was young when I went straight edge, right? I was like 21 years old, 22 years old when I, cl- I took everything out of my life. So I wasn't drunk When you or took high. alcohol and drugs out of your life? Out of my life, 21. completely. Were they a problem at that age? No, they weren't. But I could see that through a series of choices, they could be a problem. Uh-huh. So I, I'm, I'm very strategic about that. And that's, that's when I was like, oh, shit, I'm very, if I go to work, I don't go party. And so that's where the work ethic came from, which was it was just a way to save my life. You don't have to apologize for your I'm work not, ethic. I'm explaining myself Dude, to you. Dude, you've got the blue-collar cred. You've got the Rex Steel cred. That's fine. I'm not, I'm not, you don't have to apologize for being successful either. No, I'm not. What I'm, I'm saying is this. Life. What I'm saying is, is like if you grew up in Canada, yeah. there's like a 20-year period where you did not have a choice but to have a lot of Strombo. Yeah. I mean, how could you in, miss In your face, right? On the billboard, yeah. on the radio. On TV, if you're into music, Strombo. Yeah. Later on, you get a little bit older, you're into current affairs. Who's interviewing, I don't know, like Andrew Coyne and Paul Martin? It's Strombo. Yeah. If you're a hockey fan, which I'm not, yeah. Strombo. So there's a lot of Strombo. you know how many shows you've hosted? Yeah, a lot. I don't know. How many sho- I don't know. We I'm, counted. You did? How many? We counted 13. Depends how many. Like, okay, so like yeah. uh, whatever, when you were on CFNY, uh, but then the, on Much, the punk show, the new music, Much Loud, Much News. The Strombo Show on 102.1, uh, the greatest Canadian for CBC, yeah. the, the hour, the one making a music star on ABC. I want to talk about that with you as, as well as Strombolopoulos on CNN, George Strombolopoulos Tonight, yeah. Hockey Night in Canada, House of Strombo now. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of shows just with the name Strombo in them. That is true. That, that's their choice, not mine. Um, I will say this to you, though. If you look at anybody, like what, what do adults do? You go to work. Mm-hmm. You get jobs. It's just in my business, in our business, because you're in this, you have shows that have a certain run, and then when those shows are over, what are you supposed to do? Not work anymore? No, you get another job. So that's the whole point. Like, I'm just a guy who goes to work. You don't have to apologize. No, you know, I'm explaining I, I, to I, you. I, I, I actually have a lot of, I think people think like, okay, this is like a rarefied, privileged, lucky position. This guy's famous. He's probably making a lot of money. But what people don't realize is that if you're like, I mean, what are we? Like, you, there's all kinds of things we could try to glorify. But we're talk right. show hosts, right? Yeah. There are not that many jobs. No, there aren't. And there are many points in my career where if somebody had tapped me on the shoulder and said, we want to get behind you, give you one of these very few rare chairs, and you're going to talk about something that's maybe not like your favorite thing, I would say, okay, give me two days to study up on it. I'm in. Yeah. Right? Because you, you don't always get to choose. No. Right. And sometimes I have done things and sat on panels and hosted things that were not didn't really feel right. Right. Have you done that? Sure. hundred percent. I back, back to when I was at much music, I was doing shows that I was like, nah, that just doesn't feel like I want to do. And I know that my strength and why I wasn't like the traditional late night talk show host that you're talking about is I'm not a comic. I don't have the need to be validated with laughter. I actually just really wanted meaningful conversations. And I thought that they would I give me a space. I'm going to push back against this as yeah. well. I mean, sh- sh- maybe not the validated with laughter, though. I do remember you doing a series of comedy sketches, which... which oh, we did those off the top. There are cold opens. We did all... Co- we, of course, because we got into the format, we tried to figure out what would work. That's fine. Play, yeah. play around, see what happens. Yeah. You said earlier, I don't need to be like that. How, how, how can I reconcile the idea of somebody who puts themselves on camera like every day, yeah. for, you know, year after year after year, and who says, oh, I don't need to be like, I don't care what people think about me. No, no, me. I want you to You have like... to care what people think about you no, to you be don't. in this business. You want, I want people to like me for the contents of my heart and, and my authenticity. I want people to like me. Uh-huh. I don't need it, right? I'm not driven by validation. In fact, and I think a lot of it comes to the music I listened to as a kid, the music I was listening to didn't they didn't want us to get in. Uh-huh. I wasn't trying to be famous. I'm telling you, man, that I'm an example of what hard work and passion and luck. And also I have a variety of interests. And so I, I realized that I was getting opportunities 
and my, my bosses would tell me this because I could talk about politics and sports and music and social activism and I could talk about films. So I was just interested in a lot of things. I didn't have a lane. But not everything was a great fit, as you say. So what was what was not a good fit? What do you regret? I don't regret any of it. I do think that... No, because, you know, I'll tell you something. I'm not the oracle, but it's kind of gone exactly how I thought it would go. The Hockey Night in Canada thing lasted roughly as long as I thought it would last. You took a beating, man. Yeah, but that's dope. I mean, honestly, who can stand up? Who can sit there and say, yeah, I'm going to go and stand in Ron McLean's spot, knowing, knowing that the network probably didn't want me to do it, knowing that most of the fans didn't want me to do it. But I took it because I actually saw an opportunity to do something that I haven't seen in sports media, and I still don't see in sports media for the most part, which is I love watching sports. I loved watching sports. But I think that most sports broadcasting is misogynist. I think it's homophobic. I think it's transphobic. I think it's closed-minded. I think it's boring. And I think it's yesterday. And I thought, and I, when they called me and said, hey, would you be interested in this job? I said, no, because you wouldn't let me do the thing. And they said, no, we want you to. No, you wouldn't. No, you won't. You won't let what, me. What was the thing? What, open I, it up. I, I didn't watch. I don't watch yeah, hockey. What did you do? Up. I wanted to open it up a little bit. I wanted to make it a little bit about predictions because I think that a lot of sports analysis, in fact, almost all of it's a total guess. And so I was saying to the Cats, we want to reduce your opportunities to be wrong. I want to, to, to celebrate culture and do that sort of thing. I knew it wasn't going to work, but I thought it's worth a shot. It's like finishing the video game, right? If you're going to be a host in Canada, there's only two shows that, in traditional media yeah. that, that you can do that finish the video game. And one of them was Hockey Night and the other one was The National, if you're in traditional media, right? For me. So, and I was never going to do The National. So I looked at Hockey Night and thought, I'm going to get killed for this. And then a friend of mine, another friend of mine, Bob Mackowitz, who's one of my best friends, he is my best friend. He said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how badly you get beat. It doesn't matter. And I was like, you're right. It doesn't. So let's just fucking do it. Because I thought about it for a second. I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to get killed for this job. And then I said, oh, homie, that's fear. Don't be afraid of shit. No anxiety, no fear, no nothing. Go get it. And you know what? I did it. And I, I look back at that time thinking, awesome. I got to host Hockey Night in Canada. That was a really fun gig. I used to watch that show when I was a kid. People forget I was a sports reporter in my career. I was a basketball. I was an NBA reporter in the 90s in the golden era, man. So sports was not new to me, and I was very experienced as a broadcaster. It was an easy show to host. This relentless positivity is uh, is irritating me, and, I, and I've, <laughs> I've put you in the position. I, I you know, uh, yeah, it was it was it was great that you took a beating. It's great yeah. that you're not doing anymore. No, no, it's I didn't want to take a beating, but I, right. but I I wasn't. It wasn't going to be the reason I didn't do it. I, I, again, like I feel like yeah. I, it's my fault. I'm 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 actually more curious about this varied and strange road than yeah. I am. Like I don't think you've got anything to to apologize or explain. I'm, I'm for. definitely not apologizing. To no, it's, no, I, it's, that's uh, for nothing. Yes. So, um, what I am genuinely curious about is like you have seen aspects of this business that very few people yeah. get get to see, right? Like to to have a, a U.S. network TV back when U.S. network TVs were much bigger than they are right now, get behind you and launch like an American Idol style show where you're the host and put the full force of like the machine behind you is an experience that few people have ever yeah. gotten to, to to see firsthand up close. So what 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 can you tell me about that? I can tell you that it wasn't like that, and here's why. Every year I would finish the talk show, we'd have the summers off at CBC, and I would got it, get on my motorcycle and I would ride to Los Angeles. And I was riding from Toronto to LA, I do it all the time. I could stop for gas on my motorcycle and my phone is blown up and it was my agent calling me. And my agent doesn't call me mm -hmm. very often. 
my agent and my manager were calling me and they said, hey, uh, ABC wants to talk to you about a show. And I said, uh, okay, great. I'll be in LA in a few days, I'm writing. And they said, no, no, they need to talk to you now. And I was like, well, I'm on a motorcycle in Iowa. What do you want me to do? And he said, my agent said, there's an airline ticket waiting for you in Chicago. Turn around, get there, your flight's at nine. And I was like, all right. So I turned around, raced my motorcycle to Chicago, parked it in the airport with my passport. I got on the plane, I flew to LA. So what had happened was they had interviewed, I don't know what the number was. Somebody told me a hundred people to be hosts. I'm not on their radar. I was a kid hosting a show in Canada, right? So they were launching this show in two weeks. They couldn't find a host. Mm -hmm. And somebody said, this guy that I used to meet with that worked at a production company called Endemol, which I'm sure is fascinating to your, your audience, but this guy called Rob Smith. I always liked him because of Robert Smith, the cure. So his name was Rob Smith. And he said, hey, a long time ago, I met this Canadian kid, Strombo. See if he's around. So they honestly, I went in, I met with uh, the ABC people at the Disney offices. Eisner was still there, the big Mickey Mouse ears for his office. I walk in and they went, so we're doing this show in a couple weeks. What do you think? And I was like, I don't, I don't even know. What do you mean? Uh, and then I got a call the next day from my agent saying, are they offering you a job? And then my manager called me the next day and said, here's how much they're going to pay you. And I was like, great. That's great money. Um, sure. And then we were on the air in two weeks. That's how it happened. You're just a sweet dude on a motorcycle who television shows happen to. I didn't say I was sweet. <laughs> but I said, yes, you know what? I think, I think it's because people know the truth is my career has been so varied that I have a certain, I have skill sets. Like uh -huh. I can host live and I'm unflappable. And I think that's really important when you have a high stress situation. I'm easy to work with. Like I have a good reputation. I'm a decent person, but like I'm not. I'm not crazy on set. But I can host shows and I can host them comfortably and I can look in a camera and I don't seem nervous. That that's actually harder than people think it is. People used to stop me now as adults. They'd say, "I used to watch you much music and I would hate you." And then I got that job, and then I was like, "Oh, I get it." It's harder than you think. Oh, yeah. I couldn't do what you do. It's harder to do. Things. Like, you are relentlessly, professionally, dependably on, yeah. right? When yeah. you do this, like, you get George. Yeah. When, when the, like, I, I, I'm where I should be, you know? Like, I, I can be a dick, and I can I can be grumpy, or yeah. I could be on, and, it, and I can react to whatever I'm seeing. It seems like you feel like a very deep sense of responsibility that whoever sits in that chair across from you, you are going to deliver to them and to the audience a lot of energy yep. and friendliness and openness, yep. you know, like, yep. like the, that seems to be how you, I think it's a different medium as well that demands those things. Yeah, and, for sure. And, and you do daily stuff. I don't do daily stuff. It's you know? it's a, it's definitely a different animal. You know, when we built that set for the, the Red Chair show, um, I had them put like five records, albums into the base of the set so that when people sat on the Red Chairs, they had to honor those artists. So I had a Patti Smith record, a Public Enemy record, a Carlin record, and I wanted, and I would tell the right artist, hey, you're sitting on top of, you know, Patti Smith's horses, so you have to deliver. You And they would be, what? But you have to deliver. To me, this is philosophical, because life's not mean, doesn't mean anything to me, right? I'm not, I don't have like some greater sense of purpose except to be a big member of the community and try to connect people. That's my skill set, is that I can be open to people. And I think that's, that if you're gonna, if you're gonna have that and you don't wanna drive a forklift anymore, the fuck else am I going to do? Life doesn't mean anything to this strombo nihilism. <laughs> All right, so that didn't work out on ABC, and right. then and then uh, CNN put you on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they didn't use the right promo. I did one wearing a tiger T-shirt. Here, <laughs> you do look different in this. Let's have a look. Yeah, I cleaned up. Who is George Strombolopoulos? I think he hosts a morning talk show. No, that's George Stephanopoulos. George Strombolopoulos. He used to be an advisor to Bill Clinton. Not this guy. 
Let's try this again. George Strombolopoulos. Strombolopoulos? Strombolopoulos. A lot of syllables. George Strombolopoulos comes to CNN. All the biggest names of Meta. Now it's your turn. Heard a lot about you, George. Strombolopoulos. Friday night at 11 Eastern on CNN. George Strombolopoulos. Yes, sir. Not George Stephanopoulos. Yeah, I got that a lot. We used to have that was the hook. Yeah. That's how they marketed you? For sure. But also, they, it was, oh my goodness, can you believe this name? Right? That's can I, the thing. Can I get you angry about something? You have to be angry about them marketing you like that. Like, that is not a very strong pitch I to was, your new American audience. I wasn't in love with that. By, no, of course not. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't like it. But that show uh, came out just as, in a way, that's going to make you angry because it was so casual as well. <laughs> you know? I, um... You know that there are some people who grind away yeah. miserably for years to get uh, to get offers to do things. Right. You, know, you know that happens. No, to no that's like, true. Know, most people. That's true. Who choose this weird? That's true. But right. I grind away as well. And the thing is that I make opportunity. I'm very strategic. Yeah. I'm very strategic about my choices for sure. I make choices that don't make any sense to people on the outside because I know that I'm playing the long game. So I know to your this is like okay. I need to do this shit. So that two years from now, I will know how to do this. And I, that's actually how I am. How long was the CNN show on for? Uh, it was what it exactly was on. We had a 10-episode deal. So what happened with the CNN show was I was uh, at home in L.A. And um, my agent called me and said, hey, do you want to meet with the CNN guys? They're around tomorrow. Yeah. And they said they might be doing something with Sunday nights or Friday nights. And uh, I put your name up for it. And I said, okay. So I, I lived right around the corner from CNN in Hollywood. So I just drove down there. I met with them, and they said, here's what we're doing. We're doing this new series. We have this thing with Anthony Bourdain. He's going to come to CNN. This is before it was public. Um, we're going to do a couple of shows together, and Anthony knew, and Anthony and I liked each other. We knew each other. So they said, we think it would be a cool fit. Anthony would be on your first show. He said, you know, we'd put you and we put on, and it's a 10-episode deal. We only have a summertime slot. Jeff Zucker was coming in. I still had a deal with CBC, and my deal with CBC was I could only have a show in, in anywhere else that bled into Canada as long as the show didn't run during the time that my Canadian show ran, which is a very reasonable deal. In fact, it was more reasonable than most networks give. So I, I said to CNN, all right, well, uh, my priority is CBC, so call them. And if we can work out this 10-episode deal to run in the summer only, and then the last show will end before I have to start the new season of CBC, we can do it. And, this is not necessary. But that's what happened. If the CNN show was a huge, unmitigated hit, yeah. and CNN had made you some crazy offer to keep you on indefinitely, then that's what you'd be doing right now. I was now. under contract to CBC. What, what, what could I have done? Come on. I, I know what you're saying, but most people who say that to me project onto me how they would have this opportunity. It was always so important to me to be in Toronto. Whereas America is amazing at scripted television, America has never been the, a bastion of unscripted glory to me. Interview shows are very comic-based. CNN, even, if you look at how CNN does with every, every, uh, every host has this hyper-political point of view, everybody's always offended. All, that's not my skill. Like, I don't want to do that. You're saying that Canada makes better unscripted TV shows than, than, than the U.S.? Unscripted? 100%. I, th I think our journalism's better. I think our journalism is way better. I think the fact that you exist, and, you, and by the way, I'm talking about you. You're part of this too, right? Like Canada Land is, you have employees, you're, you're an important voice in this country, and you take public money. Like you have supporters, right? So you have an important role to play. You get away with really good things. I think that your point of view is partly influenced by where you're from. Look at the shit you did in high school with your news, with your papers. Look at all the fucking bombs you were throwing at the establishment from when you were a kid. Because you were never indoctrinated the way a lot of American kids are indoctrinated. You didn't grow up watching road rules. 
I, right? feel, I feel like I'm kind of in the sway of like the hypnotic celebrity <laughs> wow. interviewer flatter me. Oh, wow, you're right. I am fantastic. We can. Yeah, you're, no, I think you do some really great work. Oh, but, but I mean, not that you need my validation. Yeah. I had the CNN thing, and for the record, the CNN thing was fine. Like, I, I, I shot 40 interviews for 10 episodes in four days. We had no money in the budget for it. They didn't pay anything for it. We just thought, oh, it'd be cool to do this. So 40 interviews, four days, mm-hmm. 10 episodes. It was done. It's like Keanu and Tom Cruise and Regis. And yeah, like, yeah, and it was- They uh, put you on. Like, Yeah, well, they, well, they were, so basically we just called in our favors and yeah. we just knew people. And That's what you got to do when you're launching a show. You yeah. Know, you, you take your biggest swing. Yeah, yeah. can you come on the show? And yeah. people did it. And I looked at the ratings. They were totally fine. And in fact, it was Jeff Zucker had just started at CNN. Yeah. So I wasn't a Jeff Zucker choice. I met with him, but I wasn't part of his thing. So I always knew I was a transition guy. And I was happy to do it. I was also at a stage in my career where I was feeling like, I don't know if I want to do this this way anymore. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do a daily show anymore like I was doing at CBC. I didn't want to do, you know, I ended up, that show ended after 10 years. That is a long time to do a daily. But tell me, what do you have to say about the CNN machinery, which it seems like you have a bit of a critical uh, uh, eye towards the way that 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 kind of American talk TV works. You know more about it than I do. You were on CNN. They, um, so I did it from LA, that was important to me. I wasn't part of the office in New York, so I didn't want to be in the room. We, we actually shot in Tom Snyder's old studio in CBS, right upstairs from the uh, the Price is Right. So I didn't want That's to- a bit of history there. It was yeah. amazing. I'd walk past the big wheel <laughs> to, yeah. just to go into the show. Um, so this isn't criticism of, 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 um, of CNN per se, but here's the American unscripted audience. They are so driven by values that I don't care about. Their Bible Belt, is huge. Mm -hmm. Their moral majority is huge. Their left and right divide is huge. We're getting there now. Canada is always very smug about their politics versus Americans, but we're on, we're on our way to that. And I just looked and thought you can't have a reasonable discussion if everybody has to be partisan. That's not how I want to do this. Were you under pressure to be partisan as you were interviewing Tom Cruise? No, because I was doing celebrity interviews, right? And that's the thing. When you're doing interviews with, with authors, I didn't have to do that. So CNN was a news channel. And they don't really do, like Larry King would do that stuff, but Larry King had legacy, so he could get away with it. Yeah. But th- if you look at CNN, they don't have celebrity interviews on it, right? So we were sort of an anomaly. They were just trying something out with different men. I think all the people but one who were part of our whole block, you know, that Sunday Night Me board, and those cats aren't there anymore. I think there's only one. But we, we were just trying stuff out. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually think when I watch American news, you know, and I'm in America almost half the year, I almost never watch the news down there, but it's just so partisan and everybody's so sure. offended. All And I just thought, well, shit, we're not going to get to me. I'm very practical. We're not going to learn anything from each other here. So fuck off. Right. I don't want to have that conversation with you because you're not going to listen and I'm not going to listen to you. Let's move on. So I want like meaningful conversation where I can learn something and grow and you can learn something and grow. Otherwise, what's the fucking point? You know, sometimes you got to have a fight. Some, oh, sometimes there's two sides and you got to have a fight. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's in, one of the contradictions of, of you, it seems, yeah. is this uh, counterculture, subculture, outsider versus yeah. celebrity culture, because you are very associated with celebrity culture. Yeah. And you are a celebrity in a country that doesn't have them. Yeah. Like we, we, some people go to the States and become celebrities. And I guess when they come back here, they're celebrities, just like any American celebrity, you know, but, but in terms of people who got famous in Canada and are famous, like who would even get recognized walking down the street? It's like you and Nardwar. Yeah. There's a few, yeah, there's a few of us. Like it's a very yeah. short list. What I find is interesting is, is how people recognize me and for what. So there is, there was a long time when I would get recognized for the interview show, right? The red chair show. What I get most now is, Hey, you're 
Remember Much Music? What happened to Much Music or Much Music? Nardwar, you mentioned him, same thing. So this is an audience that was too young to have watched this back then. I left Much Music 15 years ago. Yeah. But I am still known. But it's because of what we did and how it resonated with people. Um, I think to 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 answer your contradiction or to address it, who I am and what I and what my job was, I tried to take a lot of my personality, the things I liked, the counterculture stuff, and put it on the network. Like I remember sitting in that red chair, red chair interviewing Jello Biafra, going, "He's not on any late night talk shows anymore." Yeah, and we did because we cared about that sort of thing. You know, I know that we would put regularly. Uh, the wonderful June Callwood was on our show. The American equivalent of June Callwood is not on the Tonight Show, right? We we tried to affect change from within at CBC. But also I don't hate I don't hate movies. Mm-hmm. I don't hate TV shows. So if there's a great actor who wants to talk about their cool show, I think that's rad. And basically all that entertainment just keeps the audience company at home at night. So I so we I don't have to make like negotiations and deals with the world of like oh, here's what I want to do and I'm going to have to do this to do that, you know. Yeah, I'm not independent wealthy. It was a fucking job. Like yeah. that's the thing. It was a job. Yeah. And I was happy to do it. I'm also really happy to challenge myself going, I don't want to talk to this person. And someone would say, Are you too good for that? And I went, Ah, good check. You're right. I'm not too good for that. Why, why can't I talk to this artist? Who the sure. fuck do I think I am? So I'm always into that self checking thing. Yeah. The celebrity culture thing is interesting to me. And, you know, I, I don't want to be asked certain questions yeah. like, like about my private life. So I don't ask people. I don't think you owe anybody any answers no. about your private life. Agreed. But in, in preparing for this interview, I found it difficult to figure out where your private life actually exists. It doesn't like, exist online. Like you host your show in your home. Yeah. Uh, I can rent your home on Airbnb yeah. for like something not a lot less than $1,000 a night. Like, I tr- no, I listed it for 1000 bucks a night because I didn't want anybody to rent it. And I thought, you know what, If I when I was uh, traveling all the time, I thought, if I make it this high, most people won't take it. But if you make it 300 bucks. You'll rent it to nine Blue Jay fans coming in for the weekend from yeah. London, and I don't want them trashing my place. I, so, I'm going to rent it, and I'm going to host uh, House of Strombo starring Jesse Brown. Amazing. I would I love can, that, yeah. dude. <laughs> no, I mean, so, like, anyhow, yeah. you know, dude of, of, of our age, yeah. uh, you're straight edge, you're yeah. a workaholic, you're renting out your home and, and filming out of your home. Like, it's very hard to figure out. Uh, like, the public really owns a lot of you or, or like has a lot of access to you. And it's, uh, you know, it, it, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I, but there's with, no, none with, of my without, personal life without asking you to go beyond that line. I'm yeah. just asking you to explore, like, where is that line for you? It's funny. I, there isn't really, a, there is a line in that. There's a lot of stuff about me that I don't talk about. Uh, there's a lot of the personal stuff that I don't talk about. I, I've started this overnight live stream thing I do now. I did it till about three in the morning this morning. Um, where I take calls from people and try to keep them company. And we last night we had this big intense discussion about addiction and depression, and the audience would call in. So I here's the truth: I fill up my hours just doing stuff I like. I I'm unmarried. I don't have kids. I don't have any obligations to anything other than the my whatever the song I want to sing that day. So I don't have any line between my personal and public life when it comes to work. Mm-hmm. That's in my home. I, as you said, I work all the time. I think about shows and things. We, we just sold a scripted series. We have scripted series and movies coming because I've always wanted to do them, so now we're doing them. We sold Who's we, like Strombo Productions? Yeah, it's called Sunhouse. Yeah, me, okay. and few, me and a few partners. And this is, my brain always wants to just create. Yeah. I want to make stuff, so I don't want to be, I don't sit at home and watch TV with the kids. I don't have that. I go to concerts. I'm up a lot. I just have that energy level. So why the fuck would I disrespect this energy level, right? I have so much energy all the time. Yeah. And I want to um, I want to ride this right to the end. And I'm enjoying this. I actually have a lot of joy 
and you said this to me when I bumped into the airport. You're like, you look like you're having fun. I went, fucking right I am. How could I not? Yeah. Even when shit doesn't work, even when hockey ended or when this that show in America, the ABC show, didn't go. I know what happened behind the scenes. New management comes in, this, this, this. I know that. Our ratings on that ABC show, we were getting about seven and a half million a night, about five million in the demo. They would kill for those ratings. Dude, but that, if I were you, I wouldn't be mind getting canceled either because like, ne- next week I'll be offered a job as president of the United States. Well, if you, but if you notice that after hockey, um, my, my, my friend Bob sat me down and was like, don't get a job. Don't right. get a job. It's easy to be the president, by the way. That's easy. Right. Um, clearly. Don't get a, I didn't want to get a job. I, needed to, I wanted to learn a couple other things. I also needed a break from the, not from working, but I needed a break from the same kind of work. Yeah. And I had this plan to build another... Um, wing in my head of things I could do, but I knew I needed to learn them. So that's when I started doing, I, I started doing bands in the house the moment, if you notice the timeline, the moment the hockey gig was announced, I started doing the bands in the house. When the hockey gig was ending, I knew it was going to go away. We had a lot, we had discussions about it. Mm-hmm. I had knew I already had a deal coming with Apple for a house of Strombo. And so I was, all, I was, I was planning from the moment hockey started I didn't think that show was going to last. I was going to do it right. for 12 years. I knew I wasn't. You had this. So, and I didn't want to. You had House of Strombo on the mind. And yeah. Here, here's what I can tell you about yeah. my thoughts as, as a, as a yeah. media observer about what you're doing now. Yeah. And I ha- you know, you know, don't want to make it about me. That's a bad yeah. interviewing tactic. I always tend to go there, though. I don't know what to do. Like, when you get past that point where you have to take what's offered because you don't know if there's going to be another offer, and uh, usually because, uh, in my case, the offer's dried up. And... Then I'm left with the decision. Do I like, I don't know, go write the LSATs or do I take another swing at this? And if I'm going to take another swing at this and there's nobody offering me something good fit or bad, there's no point in doing anything but the thing I most want to do. Right. You know, make or break one last run at it. What do I really want to do? Do I want to keep talking about technology like I've been doing? Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? And what I wanted to do was talk shit about the media yeah. and talk shit with the media. Yeah. And I launched Candleland, and it was the purest version of what if if I had my druthers and you know maybe I don't have a paycheck, right. but I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. House of Strombo to me puts George Strombolopoulos away from all these big offers for glitzy yeah. American shows and leave him up to his own devices. He's not going to be interviewing Calvin Trilling or or uh, Paul Martin yeah. uh, or Maya Angelou. Like, like it's back to basics. It's, it's what you love. It's music, it's right? It's music, yeah. And, and that show has, I think, an integrity and authenticity that not all of your work has. And, 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 and there's what do you a- mean integrity and authenticity? Because every job that, we, that most people I know in this business, when we approach it, we have integrity. Like I, and it's authentic work ethic like it depends on what you mean by like do you mean not every job feels like it's a perfect fit for me yeah like does this guy care passionately about what he's talking about and who he's talking to yeah i've always well it's funny because i know you give it your all no matter what and you put yourself in it no matter what you try to do your best job but that's a different thing than like oh my god john prine is playing in my house yeah i mean that's pretty wild um i i don't know that i see it the way that you present it because Uh. i to me, it's true because I hear what you're saying, and Given I and no I, under- quarter. Yeah, and okay. I understand what you're saying. But the truth is, to me, what's really interesting about being in media, like in terms of this kind, deciding media, not being a journalist, is the craft. Yeah, that's what I like. I'm, I'm, I'm. A, it's craft. So to me, hosting a show that might not seem like an obvious fit on the outside, someone would say, "Oh, that 
that's inauthentic or whatever, but it's no, actually- No, 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 I know you get to try to flex a new muscle and, and apply the craft and challenge yourself, et cetera, I couldn't et cetera, have et House of Strombo if I didn't have that experience. That's the truth. None of this right. exists in a vacuum, mm-hmm. right? Um, and at the end of the day, I'm genuinely curious about, the only show that I, like I loved watching hockey. I loved watching hockey. The Hockey Night in Canada show wasn't the right fit for me, but the show that they had hired me to do was the right fit. The show that we ended up doing wasn't the right fit for me. So very quickly, it's like, oh, that, that it's like, this isn't the right fit. So let's not do this. Yeah. So that, that was an example of us going, no, I don't think this is the right fit. But I love hockey, and I do love, and, uh, and you know, what people seem to forget is, not that they need to remember, is how many people took over Hockey Night in Canada with as much experience as I had? They're usually young. McLean was 26, right? So I walked in and thought, I can fucking do this job. But it wasn't the right fit, so it ended. Yeah. And House of Strombo to me, I love doing, but I, 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 Maya Angelou on the House of Strombo is what I want, right? It's those kinds of conversations that I like. Because to me, I don't separate music from the, the other stuff. To me, it's just us. It's the people thing. What the hell is wrong with you, Jesse? Why are you giving this guy such? It's not like you're he not giving me a hard time. This is good he conversation. He didn't commit a crime. You know what is it that he did? <laughs> no, I remember. Can when... I explain? Can yes. I explain? My resistance to to this stuff stems from I'm deeply suspicious of commercial media yeah. and the next thing it wants to sell me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and there's a reason for that. There's a dark side to this uh, celebrity culture. There's a dark side to mass media and like I'm looking for some insight for, I mean you saw some things firsthand there was a moment where the the entire CBC effort to reach a younger audience yeah. was personified by you and Gian Gameshi. Yeah. to the point where it was so iconic that these guys with their clothes and the piercings and whatnot and, yeah. and the different way that they talk uh, it became you know even CBC would satirize it on CBC and yeah. this hour has 22 minutes would have Sean Majumder as Gian and Mark Critch as you is yeah. that what they yeah, yeah. right like that was the thing for years and years and years and right. that guy was a, it was also an ambitious talk show host who came up at the same time as you you saw that all play out and I'm 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 so curious what insight you have about that and what that looked like from your perspective. Sure, I can tell you up front, it's not nearly as organized this media machine to make somebody a star in Canada. It's not nearly as organized as one would think. There's no machine. The CBC job was Heat and Dyer saying who ran Newsworld. We want to do something different. We don't know what it'll be. Do you want to be the guy? We think you can do it. We just tried it out. Our deal was so strange. Because it was just, I don't fucking know. We went into a pool hall for three days. We hired about eight people, and we said, what kind of show do we want to make? Now, as the show started to find an audience, and we did find a younger audience, and we did change the perception of CBC of what we could get away with, it was never intentional. I had a nose ring when I was at Much Music. When I got to CBC, I was sitting there thinking, in my own head, I don't want to take my nose ring out, and I'm not going to not wear a black t-shirt. I just who the fuck I am, right? And my manager, I think my manager was talking to him, and... They said, he said, George is not going to change anything about him. You just got to know that. And they said, we don't want him to because if he changes anything, people are going to think we told him to. They were so hypersensitive mm-hmm. at the time about looking like it was forced. It really wasn't as forced as it might appear. Now, as I was coming up and finding an audience and our, our, we were getting bigger and bigger guests, Gian was doing his thing on radio and he was doing the same thing. So they had radio and they had television and there were two people who genuinely cared about the jobs. And that to me... That's what it was. Now, as it got, a I'm little, not working yeah. a guilt by association angle here. I'm just wondering what oh, that. I, yeah, I did not think you, you were. Yeah, you, <laughs> no. you, you you knew him. Yeah. you had parallel experiences. It, it, absolutely. And, and yeah. then what happened happened. Right. You know, like that Billy Bob Thornton interview that happened on radio. It, they offered a Billy Bob Thornton interview to me, and they said you can't talk about this stuff. And I said no. Then I don't want to do the interview. And so I just I knew what the rules were going. They said in. you can't talk about his, his uh, acting career. Yeah. I was like, no, I don't want to do it then. So I, I I'm not the kind of guy that says you owe me this. Yeah. You're a fucking entertainer, right? 
But part of what was exposed through that was the dark side of host culture at the CBC and uh, celebrity culture infiltrating Canada. So I'm just wondering, like, first of all, were you surprised when that scandal broke? I had no idea that that was going on. A lot of people knew something about him. Never heard a thing. Uh-huh. Never heard a thing. I um, I'm not. I don't travel in those circles. I don't. I, I don't. I'm not like the big media guy. So I know people in. I know more people in the American media. You than don't travel media. in the circles of Canadian music industry. No, no media like media. So okay. I, I don't. I didn't. People didn't say to me, "Oh, did you hear this?" What was interesting was I would get calls after it came out from other people who said, "Oh, this is what I thought," and I went, "Well, I didn't know." Yeah, I had no idea. Um. Was I surprised? I'm always, uh, any behavior that's reprehensible, it's just, it's, I'm not shocked by it because I don't have high expectations of people, right. but I don't think it's, I don't think it's host culture to be honest with you, because I, over the, my 14 years being connected to CBC, I've worked with a ton of hosts and most of them are nice. So I think that we tend to focus on a couple of the high powered ones. Have you ever produced for another host? Yeah, when I started my career as a producer in sports, I was a producer for uh, 20, 30 different hosts, some big hosts as well. You know how it goes, like yeah. protect the queen. Like the, the host must be protected. The host the host is the, is the show. You know, I come from radio and radio, you know, only at CBC Radio, maybe that existed. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't have experience with that. Where I come from is you would do your show and then you would go sit in your boss's office and he would or she would play your show back to you and they would destroy your performance. So I come from an area, an era of life where you don't protect the host. The host is expected to be the best, but also has to lead in the best way. So my whole training in media was with bosses that said, you have to be better. Not you have to be, not let's give George whatever he wants. Let's give so-and-so whatever he wants or whatever she wants. There was none of that and give them whatever they want. So I never experienced any of that stuff. Even when I worked at CBC, if you like to take a look at the people who I hired to work on the show, I hired people on the show who made my life more challenging, not easier. Because I wanted to make sure that I never fell into any stupid traps. Um, I also don't, and I don't know what your relationship with this is, I don't get off on power. I don't find that interesting to me at all. Some people ascend to a position, and I think host culture is really just power culture, right? People ascend to a position and they think, oh, fuck, yeah, I'm the man or I'm the woman or whatever. That doesn't appeal to me. The artists I liked growing up weren't those kinds of people. Mm-hmm. I didn't like these artists that were braggadocio. I don't like that. So when I got into that position, it was always, and this is my own bullshit, but I'm thankful I had this bullshit. Deep down in the back of my head, it was always like, you're fucking, you're doing the Budweiser red light scoreboard, and I know you fucking hate this. I know you hate promoting sponsors on air. I know all that shit. We never did it on CBC, really. And But it, deep in my head, it was like, just be as punk as you can in the right opportunities. Like, push, push, push. So I rejected power. It doesn't turn me on. And I think that's why I was able to, I was not running in those circles. I didn't hear about the stories. I didn't know that shit. Some of the stuff that's come out since about other people in the media, I'd be like, oh, you know, okay, I heard that rumor about that person. Mm-hmm. But I've also been the guy in the building, and I wasn't the only one. There was another person who worked with me. I'm not going to, I kind of want to, but I would, a guy would say something, and we'd I'd be like, whoa. You can't say that. And then the woman who was working with us would say, it doesn't bother me. And I would say, it fucking bothers me. Right. Right. So, but I think it's because I came from Much Music, um, where I worked for Denise Donlin and Tanya Nachef. I worked at CBC. Under Moses Neimer. No, no. I was the first person hired at Much that wasn't uh, picked by Moses. That wasn't approved through Moses. When I got there, Moses wasn't involved in Much Music at all. Uh-huh. So I got there in the late 90s, 2000s. Denise Donlin and David Kynes ran the show. But Tanya Nachef was the producer who ended up coming over to be my producer on uh, my exec on the interview show. Yeah. There was never any fucking chance that anybody was going to. None of that shit there. 
not only, yeah, not only none of that shit there, but it would be always addressing the root causes of our own bias. I'm very aware of my own bias. I'm sure you are too doing this show. So it's, you, you, you surround yourself with people who make yourself more open and obviously make yourself better, but you do it for a couple of reasons. A, it's the right thing to do as a human, but it's also the right thing to do for your fucking career. So if you want to be strategic about your career, the long game is be inclusive. Mm-hmm. That's the long game and be on the right side of history. So I was raised in the TV business by these women who showed what was acceptable and what wasn't acceptable. Those fucking jokes that I hear, you know, when Trump was doing the locker room culture shit, my own locker room where I play hockey, I remember we, a new player came in one day and made some comment. He, he used a homophobic thing, but just he just did it in, as a, as, in the way people use the R word, right? He just said it. And the rest of us kind of went, no, yeah, no, we're not like that, man. We're not like that. So I didn't come from a place that, that, where that was acceptable. It wasn't normal for you, so it wouldn't be normal for you professionally. Totally not. Yeah. Totally not. Greatest talk show host of all time? Probably Letterman. Probably those first five years of David Letterman, because it was weird. And in an era where you can't be weird. <laughs> you, remember when, you remember when Chris Elliott? Oh my uh, God, Chris Elliott was so good. When Chris Elliott was like, fuck you, Dave. I'm going to host my own talk show <laughs> under the stairs. And then they would cut to Chris Elliott. Doing his own thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Letterman in that era was amazing. Yeah. But I think, honestly, uh, Letterman and Jon Stewart, because Jon Stewart changed what those shows could be. Jon yeah. Stewart creates the Colbert situation, Steve Carell. The fact that Trevor Noah is having such a great run. Trevor Noah at the Oscars, that's a big thing, right? And Letterman, I think, they'll all say Johnny. But when I was watching Johnny, it was near the end. So it was it was a different, he wasn't doing the same I think Tass was show. like, that's like your dad's talk show host. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. And yeah. but now, the, the, the guy that I watched the most aside from Letterman was Tom Snyder. Yeah. I loved Tom Snyder. And I loved, there was an, and I don't know what you, we didn't have cable. So we would get this uh, show from the UK hosted by a guy called, um, oh, I'm going blank on fucking name now, Dave Allen. So Dave Allen at large, he would drink, he would smoke, he had, one, he had a missing finger. That was the interview. He was a comedian, but he would do interviews. So Dave Allen really informed you say my outfit. He could outside. drink, he could smoke, he was missing a finger. Yeah, that was him on TV. Like he had this missing finger smoking. Remember, I'm 12, right? Yeah. Who's this guy? He looked good. He had that great accent. I think he was Irish. Um, and, Dave Allen and Tom Snyder, to me, when I was watching them, were clearly very outside the system, mm-hmm. and I really liked that at the time. It was in line with the music I was listening to, and the and the and the and, the, and I was reading like I'm like any kid from that era. I was reading Maximum Rock and Roll and and Punk Planet, more Maximum Rock and Roll than Punk Planet, but that worked for me. But then Letterman hit, and I thought Letterman was talking to me. This yeah. was my guy. Um, so he created he creates that, and then of course he creates the room for John Stewart to go and revolutionize what comedy can be. I think most American comedy satire is kind of lame because they uh, they laugh and yuck it up with the people they're attacking. Mm-hmm. You know, when when SNL brought Sarah Palin on to do the bit with Tina Fey, I remember thinking, "Wow, yeah, yeah I don't like that." No, but Let- Letterman, like patron saint for snarky dickheads yeah yeah he was a misanthrope for sure he did not he was an angry dude yeah yeah so and, and i liked him too he was young yeah you think about how fucking young he was when he had that show i like i like most of them to be honest with you. um near the second wave like uh, craig ferguson is what i watched when i would watch hmm. late night i watched craig ferguson because he was trying to deconstruct the format and he had that mascot dressed as secretariat that was his co-host he would just look at this grown up in a fucking horse costume and that for whatever reason at 1 30 in the morning or 12 30 that merely made me laugh um and i got to be a guest on that show and secretariat was there and i went Pretty dope. I'm a grown-ass person loving this horse costume. George, thank you. Hey, thanks for your time, man. We didn't talk enough about punk rock. I thought you like you love punk rock, don't you? You, you know, did, didn't you at one point? Yeah, I mean, like, 
a bad brain show was the best show I've ever been to in my life, you know. But uh, you got to be careful about claiming yourself part of punk rock culture because a lot of people will tell you, you know. I know, homie, you're the culture. They claim you. It's punker than thou as a whole, you know. That's the I'm same thing. I feel like Canadian media is is the same thing. Everybody is just they just everybody is fucking ready to tear you down, and it's good. I think there's value in it, um, and I think it's punk rock. I Who think are you it, talking about? I can't imagine. Listen, I think you do. I, I think I love media criticism uh, for the most part. Uh, there's things where it's it's an academic and intellectual pursuit, and there's things where it's opinion, and then opinion is like okay, well that's how you feel about something. Um, that's not the same thing to me as your coverage of how media is covering. The yellow vests, yeah, which was abhorrent, and the coverage, not your point of view. Um, I was on your side. On I got you. I got yeah, you. yeah. So I, I think that I think it's important, and I think it's also super Canadian that this exists. That everybody just kind of sits there and keeps it real. Yeah, you know, in some way, there's a lot of curbs going on in this business, and I think that keep it real, police, and I think that I think it's good. I think it's healthy. Well, listen, you came up and initiated a conversation with me, and you came here to my studio today, and I really appreciate that. Hey, man, I'm happy to spend the time. I look forward to the next one. That was your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to email me, you can do so at jesse at canadalandshow.com and I will read everything you sent me. Our website is canadalandshow.com. This week, check out another episode of Oppo. Things keep happening in Ottawa, so we keep making Oppo episodes to cover them. And that show has been on fire lately. Check it out. This episode is produced by Kasia Mihailovic and me. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is handled by CFUV, 101.9 FM in Victoria. Check them out at cfuv.ca. If you like our podcasts, if our news stories reach you and you think that journalism is worth supporting, then go to patreon.com slash CanadaLand. If you give us five bucks or more a month, you can get ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. Please help us out.